Hey everyone, and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy, the host of Theana Money. Before getting started, I just want to uh, tell you all that I'm pretty sure I had a better weekend a week ago than you all did, because how many of you all were at a gas station and saw a trailer full of llamas? Yes, that's right. Uh, my wife and I, we were coming back home from visiting family in Michigan. Uh, my grandparents' anniversary and my birthday and my brother's birthday are all just within a few days of each other, and so it makes for a good time to go up to Michigan for a couple of days and be with family, especially this one. Probably most listeners don't know, my grandfather died just last month in March of 23, and so uh, just last week was uh, what would have been my grandparents 66th anniversary so it was really good to be there with me and the wife and our uh, once this episode drops six month old baby there to uh, be there with her during all of that but on the way back we stopped for gas and uh, saw a livestock trailer full of llamas while at the gas station parked as they were getting gas in the vehicle pulling the trailer so that was interesting and, you know, llamas are cool, so y'all needed to know about the livestock trailer full of llamas I saw a week ago. Anyways, to the uh, point of this episode, uh, if you listen to podcasts, you're probably getting at least enough news content to know that transgenderism is really ramping up in the United States. We have uh, Dylan Mulvaney, and I'm just going to be honest, I wasn't sure what his last name was like as I was first typing out my notes what I want to talk about in this episode I wrote down Dylan whatever his name is and had to uh, google it um so that Dylan Mulvaney dude that you know had the Bud Light cans his face on the Bud Light cans and all of that we have that dude and all of these other uh transgender people that Leah Thomas or whatever his name is with the swimming like all this stuff is really just uh, ramping up because all of us talking about a slippery slope with Obergefell in 2015 have unfortunately been proven right and so I just wanted to take an episode to talk about this because it is a uh, such a serious issue right now so there are a lot of good arguments against transgenderism out there that go into all of these reasons why, from a scientific standpoint, that transgenderism is wrong. Reasons like, no matter what surgery you undergo or what hormones or other drugs you take, your chromosomes will still have an XX if you're a woman and an XY if you're a man. You cannot change yourself on that far of a level no matter what drugs you take. Or skeletal remains. If uh, you try to switch from one sex to the other and then uh, you die and hundreds of years from now, archaeologists uh, dig up your bones, they're going to be able to tell whether you are a man or a woman by looking at your bones. Now, depending on to what extent you undergo surgery, they may say, oh, this is a man or a woman that had some 
serious stuff happen to them. Their their skeleton looks damaged in some ways, but they're still going to know whether you a man you are a man or a woman. Uh, we can also talk about the harmful effects of uh, the drugs and surgeries, uh, like how they can sterilize people. Uh, the book Irreversible Damage that goes into uh, ways that these young girls are basically sterilizing themselves with the hormone blockers they're taking and going on testosterone and all this other stuff. Uh, or we could talk about the higher suicide rates, including after they get the surgery. A lot of times for these people, their suicide rates actually go up because they think that getting some surgery, you know, getting their bottom surgery will somehow magically solve all of their problems. And then uh, they undergo surgery and they still have their issues. Now they just have their issues with a more mutilated than before body and their suicide rate goes up. Or as it relates to transgender athletes, the advantages that male puberty gives you, even if you start taking testosterone later down the road. Like we can talk about all of these and other reasons why transgenderism is wrong and it's bad and it's not okay and all of the other negative things you want to say. And those are some good arguments. Don't get me wrong. Those are some pretty good arguments. But they should not be our primary ones if we are to argue biblically using the revelational epistemology that we hold dear. So basically, uh, as presuppositionalists, it's okay for us to use evidence. It's just we don't say evidence, therefore God. We say God, therefore evidence. It's flipping the way in which we use that evidence and using evidence presuppositionally. So sure, this episode is not directly about economics or theonomy, but it is an attempt to approach transgenderism, a growing cultural and political trend. And I think that culture and politics are both related to theonomy. It is an attempt to approach transgenderism from a solid presuppositional approach. And that is in some way related to theonomy because theonomy is simply the presuppositional worldview applied to politics. But before we jump into the meat of this episode, I want to ask you all that if you like theonomy, then please, uh, you know, tell your friends about it, subscribe to the podcast. Send this episode to people that would like to know some good reasons and ways that we as Christians can argue against transgenderism. Or send it to your friend who's in favor of transgenderism and thinks it's great, whether that person themselves claims this or whether uh, that person isn't, but just like thinks it's this great idea and has pronouns in their bio and all of that stuff. Uh, send this episode to them and uh, when we get to the end and you see how I ended, I think you'll even more think this would be a great episode to send to those people. So uh, first and foremost, we're going to be looking at transgenderism from a biblical worldview, from uh, the Bible. I'm going to be quoting Bible verses to talk about transgenderism and why I think it's wrong. And so uh, first and foremost, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. It says, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh your God. And now this is coming to you along with all the other quotes from scripture and the Legacy Standard Bible. That's why you heard it say Yahweh your God, not the Lord your God there. So first I want to read the study note that the Reformation Study Bible has on this verse. It says, 
women are not to adopt the accoutrements of the male, like carrying weapons, and men are not to dress as women. The symbols of gender difference are to be respected, and while such symbols vary over time and from culture to culture, the principle of gender distinction remains. Genesis 1.27, cross-reference 1 Timothy 2.13. Violations of the creation order, such as homosexuality and bestiality, Leviticus 18.22 and 23, and Leviticus 20.13 and 1 Corinthians 6.9 and 1 Timothy 1.10, are an abomination. So reading that again without all of the scripture references. Violations of the creation order, such as homosexuality and bestiality, are an abomination. And so uh, you might say, okay, Jeremy, like that makes sense. You know, this verse says that cross-dressing, being a transvestite is wrong, but that doesn't have anything to do with transgenderism. Well, hold on a minute. If the Bible says that just dressing like the opposite sex, men dressing up to try to pass as women and women dressing up to try to pass as men and stuff like that, if the Bible says that's wrong, how much then more wrong, or maybe not more wrong, but just easier to say it's wrong that trying to literally be the opposite sex is wrong. If something as little, by the way, I'm not saying this sin is little, I'm meaning only in the sense of comparison is this little. If is something, how is something so little as dressing like the opposite sex, if that's wrong, then how much more is it wrong to try to take drugs and get on hormones and do surgeries to try to, in every way you possibly can, pass as the opposite sex. Like, if uh, something uh, like just dressing like a woman is wrong as a man, then I'm pretty sure it's wrong to, uh, you know, take Paul seriously when he said cutting the whole thing off makes you really holy, except you're not doing it to be holy. You're doing it to uh, try to do your little transgender thing. Like, how much more is that wrong if something... uh, in comparison, so little as dressing as the opposite sex is wrong. Um, So I guess, long story short with that, TLDR, if just dressing like the opposite sex is wrong, how much more is it wrong to go through surgeries and take drugs and all this other stuff to try to pretend to be the opposite sex? But I think there is an even stronger argument than this from the Bible. Though this one alone is strong enough that it could stand alone and others are not necessary. We could just look at Deuteronomy 22.5 and what I said about it. And I think that alone would be enough to say the Bible says transgenderism is wrong. But there are more. There, there are more places we can look at. Let's look at Romans chapter 9. Um, I'm thinking that probably a lot of my listeners are Calvinists. So, you know, all the jokes about Calvinists loving Romans 9. But um, if you're not a Calvinist, please don't turn off the episode right now. Um, We're going to be looking at Romans 9, but we're going to be seeing the application, not the direct meaning, but once we understand the direct meaning, the application that Romans 9 has on this transgender movement. So once again, reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, I'm going to be starting in verse 14, going to verse 24. What shall we say then? Is there any unrighteousness with God? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the one who wills or the one who runs, 
but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, in order to demonstrate my power in you, and in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Will the thing molded say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Or does not the potter have authority over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And what if God, wanting to demonstrate his wrath and to make known his power, endured with much patience vessels of wrath, having been prepared for destruction, and in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. And so I read a pretty large section there for the context. And then I want to reread verses 20 and 21. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? Will the thing molded say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Or does the potter have authority, or does not the potter have authority over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So this passage has its direct context on predestination and election with the larger theme as to how that relates to ethnic Jews and how so many of them have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And so in this passage, Paul is talking about how basically God's sovereign. God gets to pick who the elect are. And if you say that's unfair, well, without God choosing us first, we never would have chosen him. So we'd all be reprobate if God didn't choose some of us to be elect. And so this is all about God's predestining will and God's foreknowledge of his people uh, choosing us by his unconditional grace, not by foreseeing that we would choose him or anything like that. And so this passage is about God's election. A couple Calvin quotes here on this passage. By the word power, he means not that the maker has strength to do according to his will, but that this privilege rightly and justly belongs to him. For he intends not to claim for God any arbitrary power, but what ought to be justly ascribed to him. And another quote from Calvin. And further bear this in mind, that as the potter takes away nothing from the clay, whatever form he may give it, so God takes nothing away from man in whatever condition he may create him. Only this is to be remembered, that God is deprived of a portion of his honor, except such an authority over men be conceded to him as to constitute him the arbiter, sorry, arbitrator of life and death. On that first quote, power refers to uh, authority and privilege, not to the power to force others to do what you want them to do. The latter would be a Marxist idea of God's power, and that's wrong. Whereas the former about God's authority to do so is the biblical understanding. Yes, God is omnipotent. He's more powerful than us and he can tell us to do whatever he wants us to do but God has that authority and a privilege and it is from a place of authority not just a place of uh, 
do what I want or I'm going to zap you. The latter is the Marxist idea, which is kind of funny since that's what the atheists say complaining about God is he just zaps people who do stuff he doesn't like. No, that's like more a Marxist understanding of God's power, not a biblical understanding, which it's God's authority. Anyways, I'm going off into other stuff. Uh, back to like focusing on Romans 9 and applying it to transgenderism. Well, that's a weird thing to say. So practicing good hermeneutics. After first getting the meaning, we can apply that meaning and principle to other things. Get the narrow focus and meaning first, then broaden that out to the various application points and uh, implications and stuff like that we get from the passage. That, that's what we're trying to do here as we look at Romans 9 and apply it to transgenderism. We don't want to skip that first part of uh, getting what the text actually means and its context and then try to go straight to application uh, because that is a recipe for misinterpretation. We want to understand what the text means first, get its meaning, get the principle of the text, and then we can apply it to other situations. And so from this text, we see God is the potter, we are the clay. God chooses the elect and the reprobate. If we cannot question God on which one of those he made us, how can we question him on other things, like our ethnicity, or the time period in which we live, or, important to this episode, whether he made us male or female? Paul is saying there in Romans 9 that a human questioning God on whether God made that human elect or reprobate is like a... Um, it's like a lump of clay questioning the potter, you know, if clay all of a sudden could talk and we're sentient. It's like a lump of clay questioning the potter and saying, why do you make me into this vessel instead of another vessel? And, uh, you know, if that's, you know, what Paul's getting at there, then if it's wrong for a human to do that, how much is it also wrong for a human to do that in other aspects? Like I said there, ethnicity or the time period in which you live or your sex, whether God made you male or female. And it's not just Romans 9 there. Uh, if you're reading in the NASB or LSB, you'll see that Paul has uh, some things there that the translators put in all caps, meaning it's an Old Testament reference or quotation. So I want to read from Isaiah 45 verses 9 through 12 and Jeremiah 18 verses 3 to 6. So first Isaiah, we see there, Woe to the one who contends with his maker an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, He has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, With what are you in labor pains? Thus says Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, Ask me about the things that are to come concerning my sons. And you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I commanded all their host. And then Jeremiah 18. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was ruined in the hand of the potter. So he turned around and made it into another vessel according to what was right in the eyes of the potter to make. Then the words of Yahweh came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, 
deal with you as the potter does, declares Yahweh. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And so basically what I'm getting at with uh, Romans 9 and then these two passages from the Old Testament, uh, one or both of which Romans 9 is referencing, if not quoting from, is that those who claim, uh, I know I was born a man, but I'm actually a woman, or vice versa. Those who say, I know I was born a woman, but I'm, I'm actually a man on the inside. And what I am on the inside, I need to be on the outside too. These are uh, lumps of clay that you know God made into whatever vessel he wanted to make. And now they're saying back to the creator, you're wrong for not making me into the vessel I want to be made into. They are answering back to the potter and saying, why did you make me like this? Why did you not make me in a different way? Thinking that they have some right to tell the potter how they should have or should have not made them. That is questioning God. That is blaspheming God. That is going against God and not recognizing his sovereignty and his authority over every aspect of our lives. From the most minute details to whether or not we are elect or reprobate. Whether or not we're a man or a woman and other things like that. And so, yes, Deuteronomy 22.5 is a, a great verse, but also I think we should look at Romans 9 with the references to those two Old Testament passages and see uh, not only do we just have the commandment against God that cross-dressing is wrong, let alone actually trying to be the other sex, uh, but also not just directly disobeying a command of God. It is blaspheming God to try to say you're transgender because it is saying to God, he didn't know what he was doing, that you know better than God does, and that God should not have made you the way he made you. And so there, coming from that biblical perspective, is how I think we should look at transgenderism from a presuppositional worldview. First and foremost from scripture, but like I said before, that doesn't mean we can't use scientific proofs and evidences and things like that. Look at Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis is pre-sup, and you see all kinds of scientific evidence on their website. But we have to, in order to be pre-sup, our evidence should be used in a manner that says, evidence therefore God, not... Sorry. Let me back up there. Wow, I said that wrong. I apologize. I said that completely backwards. We as pre-sup should not say, evidence therefore God, like the evidentialists do. We as pre-sup say, God therefore evidence. We're not looking at the evidence and trying to prove that God exists. We're saying, yeah, we already know God exists, and that's why all the evidence is there, because, you know, God kind of made the world. <laughs> We're saying God, therefore, evidence. And uh, so that's the uh, main point of this episode there, but I want to take a few minutes here at the close. I want to close with the uh, grace in Christ for those who have gone into this transgenderism movement or homosexuality or any of the other crazy things going on in our culture today and say, for those who repent, there is grace in Christ. Taking hormone blockers or whatever other drugs are out there being offered and going through with top surgery and bottom surgery and all the other things does not put you outside of the possibility of being saved. You will have to live with whatever lifelong repercussions there were of the sins you committed before coming to faith in Christ, but that doesn't mean 
you are beyond saving. You can still repent of your sin and believe the gospel and turn away from your wicked ways in the past and find Christ to be a perfect Savior. That no matter what you've done, I mean, look at the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote Romans chapter 9. He was basically a terrorist before he became a Christian. He was going around killing Christians, but God saved him and had him write half the books of the New Testament. And so there is more grace in Christ if we repent and believe than there is sin in us. That no matter what you've done, if you repent of your sin and believe the gospel, you repent of your sin and put your faith in God, you believe that Jesus died on the cross, taking your sin upon himself and paying the penalty that you deserve to pay for all eternity in the lake of fire, but that Jesus, if you repent and believe, paid it on your behalf on the cross and rose from the dead and has now taken uh, authority over, over death, over the entire world, is now ruling and reigning from the right hand of God. If you believe that, you will find Christ to be a perfect Savior and all of your sin even the sin of blaspheming God by saying, why did you make me like this, will be covered by the blood of Christ with its penalty paid 2,000 years ago on the cross. And if you don't believe me, then let's turn to a different book that the Apostle Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. to Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, with the context of this episode, we can go ahead and add nor the transgender there too. And so far, this seems pretty bleak. But there's one more verse, the very next one I want to read. And such were, not are, such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So homosexuals, thieves, drunkards, greedy, transgenders, whatever other sin you can think of, whatever other sins on this list and all of that, like whatever other list in the Bible, if you repent of your sin and believe the gospel, Christ will save you. And so I want to close with one more passage from Isaiah, this time chapter 53, verses 3 to 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. That was this week's episode of Theana Money. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends.
Oh, you said.